Hello everyone, this is Sanjay Sarapati. I welcome you on behalf of Inertis Hepatology Club, the global platform for the hepatologists to communicate, collaborate and exchange ideas. Most importantly, expand your horizon, meet new friends across the globe on this single platform, a global village for the hepatologists. Today we have Professor Aswini Singhal, who is an Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of South Dakota Sanford School of Medicine and transplant hepatologist at the Avera Transplant Institute. Professor Singel's research has been funded by American College of Gastroenterology, National Institute of Health and Pharmaceutical Industry. His primary interest is in clinical and translational research that focuses on alcoholic and non-alcoholic fatty liver diseases, renal injury cirrhosis and porphyria. He has over 200 peer-reviewed articles in national and international journals and book chapters. He is an active executive member of the American College of Gastroenterology Practice Parameters Committee. Dr. Singhal has developed practice guidelines for alcoholic liver disease and vascular disorders of the liver and is currently involved in writing the guidelines on the nutritional management of patients with cirrhosis. Apart from reviewing research grants and scientific research abstracts for the AGA and the American Association of Liver Disease, Dr. Singhal is currently the secretary of the special interest group of alcoholic liver disease of the American Association of Liver Disease and the chair of the education committee. Professor Singhal, welcome to Inertis. Liver transplantation for alcoholic liver disease has been quite controversial topic. Many centers, many transplant centers across the United States are utilizing a very restrictive criteria. They, are, they would tend to wait at least six months of abstinence before they would consider for liver transplantations. There are many good studies that has been published, especially studies coming from Europe, has shown great results, great post-transplant outcomes, even with short period of abstinence, especially in alcoholic hepatitis patients. Dr. Singhal, what is your view on this six-month rule? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, traditionally, uh, the six months uh, rule was applied to allow the acute component of alcohol insult on the liver uh, to improve and hopefully uh, disease to declare itself up to a point of time and then talk about liver transplantation. Uh, but since then, the six months rule of abstinence has been taken like a rule uh, to uh, you know consider patients for evaluation of liver transplantation for alcohol-associated liver disease. Um, and uh, Knowing that these patients who have uh, severe alcoholic hepatitis who have not responded to corticosteroid treatment um, and they uh, are pretty sick and, and they have been drinking up until few weeks prior to presentation, they cannot afford to wait for six months because their mortality by that time would be almost 70 to 80%. Uh, and therefore, uh, uh, 
the concept came can be applied early liver transplant uh, for these population and then there are a lot of other studies uh, sanjay as you know that uh, have shown that 6 uh, months or minimum 6 months of abstinence duration is not a very strong predictor uh, of relapse to alcohol after transplant in fact psychosocial status and younger age and uh, uh, family history of alcoholism and uh, the other factors uh, which i outlined are more relevant and important in predicting uh, you know relapse to alcohol after uh, transplantation and therefore uh, this seminal study uh, 10 years ago uh, took patients with severe alcoholic hepatitis uh, who did not abstain from alcohol for 6 months or at least 6 months and showed very good data on uh, survival outcomes uh, of almost 80% uh, and since then the same centers have showed improving Uh, outcomes in this patient because our experience to handle these patients is improving having said that the controversy is mainly because uh, the criteria for patient selection are not uniform because we are still evolving in terms of experience and therefore there is a lot of heterogeneity across centers and across um, countries on using this modality of treatment uh, for these patients uh, some of some of the controversies could be around especially in Europe and um, uh, America about use of diseased organs for patients where the public opinion may be that uh, they should go to people who uh, need it more or who deserve it more so they think that alcoholism is a self-inflicted disease and these patients may not deserve it and there can be other issues there are some insurance barriers there can be protocol barriers uh, there can be um, Uh, many other uh, you know concern for alcohol relapse after transplant uh, a lot of barriers could be there uh, and that uh, translates into uh, you know significant heterogeneity on the use of this modality of treatment um, uh, across centers so unless we have a uniform protocol criteria for patient selection um, and that is the unmet need in this area do you think uh, any scoring systems available that can reliably predict these patients to be safely transplanted uh, even with shorter duration of abstinence from alcohol right and there are many many score systems are available uh, in, in, in predicting the uh, the alcohol relapse after transplantation uh, i think the scores are um very good in terms of their negative predictive value who is not going to relapse um or who who should not be uh, you know um taken for transplantation but it is not very good in selecting patient population most of the schools and therefore uh, uh, i think uh, unless we do kind of a randomized or a case control study which i think recently at the ASLD and easel um from the same center from the french franco belgian group uh, came up with a larger study using uh, more objective criteria in the form of a scoring system uh, based on the psychosocial assessment uh, of the individual uh, for the you know considered for this early liver transplant for alcoholic hepatitis even in that study uh, you know that was very rigorous out of a total score of 250 the selected patient if the score was at least 220 or more so it was pretty rigorous 
patient selection. Uh, even then, the uh, relapse rate uh, of alcohol uh, after transplant was shown to be uh, higher, especially of the uh, harmful variety of alcohol relapse after liver transplant, higher in the patients uh, who were abstaining less than six months after liver transplantation, uh, but clearly uh, showed benefit of this uh, modality. So I think, uh, uh, although the, the, this is study which I'm talking about is uh, uh, you know refinement and a step up from the previous studies uh, in the form that it was very controlled uh, environment and very uh, carefully selected patient, uh, uh, but also uh, because the alcohol relapse was so high, I won't say so high, but it was higher in the group. Uh, so it is concerning then. Uh, means that we need more objective and more uh, uh, improvement in the criteria for patient selection uh, in this group. So what kind of approach you are taking um, in patients with alcoholic hepatitis who are at potential risk of, let's say, uh, not uh, being considered for liver transplantation? Uh, what approach you are taking at this point um, in terms of managing these patients? Right. Um, I think in any liver transplantation, uh, there is there are two, two things to be considered as you know, uh, when we select our patient population for liver transplant, uh, for any disease, there is a medical component uh, and then there is a psychosocial component. Uh, and I think the the medical component for alcohol-associated liver disease especially takes a lower priority uh, in my mind compared to non-alcohol related liver disease. And the psychosocial component I think takes the top priority uh, for selecting an alcohol-associated uh, liver disease patient for liver transplant. And of the psychosocial I think uh, our approach is um, and I think most centers would uh, uh, you know including uh, uh, you know, addiction counselor and such social worker, at least two providers, along with hepatology and other team members who evaluate the patient. And the major input is provided by addiction counselor and um, uh, the social worker. And uh, based on the evaluation, uh, you can categorize um, the patient population into a low risk for relapse, moderate risk of relapse, and high risk of relapse. Uh, without any scoring system actually, basically just looking at various parts of the analysis or various parts of the assessment, for example, um, uh, the, the details on alcohol history, how long the patient is drinking, how heavy is the drinking, uh, you know, abstinence duration, uh, and also on their psychiatric comorbidities, their support system, their uh, insight into the disease, uh, their likely compliance, uh, you know, attitude when you're talking to the patient, you assess whether this patient is likely to adhere to the treatment or comply with the treatment, or you, if you have objective evidence of an established patient, whether the patient is a compliant patient or a non-compliant patient. And then uh, age of the patient uh, goes into that uh, risk assessment previous alcohol treatments and what has happened to the outcomes, DUIs um, on the patient. Uh, so there are a lot of factors, uh, Sanjay, as we all know, go into that risk assessment. And based on that, if the risk assessment is low, um, then we can select the patient for uh, uh, you know, transplant. 
if the risk assessment is moderate, uh, then we try to uh, go with a consensus. Many times we have selected a patient uh, for liver transplant listing, but most of the times we will recommend an outpatient uh, intensive therapy before considering liver transplant uh, listing. And then the high risk obviously needs uh, uh, you know, intensive inpatient treatment uh, followed by outpatient. Um, and that would not be considered for listing. Uh, so the moderate group is something or a medium risk would be something where consensus can build in where uh, if the consensus thinks while well, patient is too sick, is at a moderate risk, maybe we can uh, cannot wait or he cannot be able to attend the treatment sessions. Maybe we should uh, give him a chance and then maybe do the treatment of alcoholism after liver transplantation. So we have taken that approach also in some patients um, for a moderate risk uh, of alcohol relapse. Do you? Sense? Yes, absolutely. Do you consider liver biopsy um, a mandatory for diagnosis of alcoholic hepatitis, or do you? What kind of approach uh, you favor at your center in evaluating patients with alcoholic hepatitis? Right. So uh, my approach is, uh, or our approach is, uh, fairly. Um, uh, I would say uh, simple uh, that uh, and it, it, it kind of aligns with a lot of other uh, evidence-based uh, you know criteria and evidence-based literature uh, and so what I what we do is if we see a patient with alcohol associated liver disease uh, who is decompensated uh, as, as we all know that alcoholic hepatitis is always a differential diagnosis in these patients uh, but we all know that if they can decompensate from non-alcohol hepatitis uh, related, say, for example, sepsis, infection, or portal vein thrombosis, or some other reason, um, they can decompensate. Uh, so, after the evaluation of the patient, if we think the patient is, um, for, uh, you know, uh, eligible for corticosteroid therapy, so there are no contraindications for corticosteroids, uh, then we make efforts to make a diagnosis of alcoholic hepatitis and typically um, uh, we would go with the uh, clinical assessment. So there are NITAA uh, clinical criteria where we have a patient who has been drinking up until uh, six to eight weeks prior to presentation, no other cause of liver disease is found, uh, AST is more than ALT, Typically, enzymes below 400, bilirubin above 3. Uh, so those kind of criteria we use. And, uh, and if you ruled out, you know, uh, other issues like malignancy or hepatocellular carcinoma or uh, biliary obstruction uh, as a cause of decompensation, then, um, uh, then you are fairly certain that this patient has alcoholic hepatitis. Um, the accuracy of this kind of approach uh, has varied from anywhere between 80 to 90 percent. Uh, so you still deal with about 10 to 20 percent who may be misclassified as alcoholic hepatitis using that approach. But then you can increase your uh, accuracy for diagnosis as you um, as you uh, uh, increase the severity of the disease. For example, uh, in one study recently, uh, we wrote an editorial for. Uh, the if you if you take patients where the meld is above 25 
and all these clinical criteria the nia triple a criteria were positive so they were met and the meld was 25 and above and the biopsy was obtained prior to corticosteroid administration the clinical diagnosis was 100% accurate so my approach is if the nia triple a criteria are present uh, which which we just talked about and the meld is about 24 25 and the steroids have not been administered Uh, I would say this patient has clear uh, alcoholic hepatitis. I'm not going to go wrong in that patient in making a diagnosis. But then, if your NIAAA criteria are confounded uh, by either an alcohol history or some other serological markers are positive or ultrasound findings, then you might like to do a biopsy. So that's our approach uh, in making a diagnosis. Great. What's the success of uh, transplanting alcoholic liver disease patients uh, going after the liver transplantation? Uh, what is their success rate, and how they be, how do how they are doing based on the data so far? Yeah, uh, I think we all know, and you you uh, being uh, one of the uh, you know significant workers in the or investigators in the field of transplantation. Uh, especially using the UNOS database and uh, uh, other, uh, you know, database studies, uh, most of the studies have shown that uh, transplant outcomes, uh, graft as well as patient for alcohol-associated liver disease, are fairly, fairly good, uh, pretty good actually. Uh, and recently, the data is coming. Actually, if you group non-alcohol liver disease as a separate group and alcohol as a separate group. Alcohol actually fares better overall with a non-alcoholic. So their outcomes are pretty good uh, compared to um, uh, other diseases, uh, I would say. Uh, the question comes on alcoholic hepatitis uh, transplants, and uh, as I alluded to earlier, that the experience is uh, developing and evolving. Uh, so most of the centers uh, who are developing more and more experience with these sicker patients in ACLF. um uh, their outcomes are getting better so also depends on what kind of patient selection you do not only from the psychosocial standpoint but here for the patient outcome we are talking about their medical selection or medical uh, uh, disease or comorbidity selection uh, for example if somebody is on ventilator may not have as good an outcome as non ventilated patient at the time of transplant But overall, I would say the initial study from uh, Franco-Belgian group showed about 80% two-year survival. Uh, the UNOS database on alcoholic hepatitis showed about uh, 90% or 90-91% two-year survival. And recently, uh, the Franco-Belgian again this case control study with the objective criteria for selection, uh, which I talked about, presented at the ASLD, showed 88%. Uh, uh, one year survival. So I, I think uh, the 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 outcomes are pretty pretty good. But having so said that, uh, but having said that, there are a couple of issues I think which need to be uh, considered when you select patient population for alcoholic hepatitis and severe ACLF uh, is uh, uh, their uh, protocol, and, and that's where we don't have the protocol. Also, is how to uh, screen on a consistent basis because. Uh, they are not transplanted overnight there is always a delay period uh, from time to consider transplanting and time to receiving a transplant maybe 7 to 10 days even in sickest patients or 2 to 10 days you can say 
in the sickest patients. So what is the protocol on screening this population for infection? Because these patients are like a fertile ground for bacterial or fungal infections. So I think uh, uh, over time, if, if the transplant outcomes have improved in this population, is I think uh, better use of antibiotics and uh, screening for you know bacterial or fungal infections, uh, which has made it possible to improve their outcomes over time. Great. Uh, my question is, um, you know, what would be your advice to the transplant uh, uh, teams across the country to improve the improve transplantation in patients with alcoholic liver disease? It seems like 90% of the patients are selected out. Only 10, 5 to 10% are finally, you know, selected uh, for transplantation. And, and many patients actually wait longer and fail out of the transplant list or even being considered. So looking at the, the great success uh, of the outcomes of these patients, do you have any specific message to the transplant uh, teams across the country to improve, the, uh, improve this enrollment for transplantation for these patients? Right. I think uh, in terms of uh, if, if I can break this question into two, and uh, one is improving the outcomes of these patients. I think our patient selection uh, should take the priority and we should all work together in terms of developing a uniform protocol for the best patient selection. And you're right that uh, not, less, not more than 5% of these patients would actually qualify uh, for um, no, transplant selection and most will be rejected because of the psychosocial issues and high risk of relapse of alcohol after transplantation. So, uh, but even in these 5%, we have to select even those patients who would fare the best out after liver transplantation. Because we know that the organs are in scarcity and uh, there is only one transplant for every three listed patients. Um, so, uh, so, uh, so we have to clearly do that uh, uh, more rigorously and more uh, judicious. Um, in terms of uh, the community, I think what we can do as a, as a community or uh, hepatology community is form a kind of a consortia and I think uh, people are now realizing uh, as a consortia or multi-center collaborative studies where we can uh, form a consortium to add on all the transplants into a database uh, for alcohol-associated uh, liver disease, uh, irrespective of whether they have alcoholic hepatitis or not. And then we can see, uh, uh, once we have a large database from many centers, so even if five transplants are done in less than six months of abstinence at one center, but we have 30, 40 centers, uh, you get a group of about 200 patients, and that would be a large group. Um, to uh, to see what would be the best patients to select uh, and develop the uh, criteria for patient selection uh, as uh, in a retrospective fashion. Uh, so that is something uh, uh, my uh, thinking. But another thing which I think uh, you would agree, and I, I want to ask you, uh, what is your opinion on that? Is uh, should these criteria uh, of patient selection for liver transplant be different when we talk about uh, live donor liver transplant because 
मैं भी क्राइटेरिया मैं भी रिलैक्स्ड और आई वांट टू से मैं भी रिलैक्स्ड बट देयर इज अ पोटेंशियल ऑफ रिलैक्सेशन ऑफ दिस क्राइटेरिया बिकॉज़ ऑफ द प्रेशर फ्रॉम द फैमिली एंड द द अवेलेबिलिटी ऑफ अ डोनर राइट अवे and uh, you are not taking the donor away from the donor pool it's right there as a live donor uh, so i don't know um, in my personal opinion uh, the criteria should remain the same uh, whether it is disease donor or live donor but uh, i don't know people who do live donor liver transplants like i've talked to people in india um, uh, soen raila and uh, subhash gupta three of those i've talked to and uh, and we don't have much literature published from that uh, you know uh, world to know what exactly uh, the criteria they use uh, in terms of uh, selecting this population for live donations but what do you think well i think that is uh, such a uh, important question and those thoughts are so important as well to uh, delve into the two things i look in look into it when i uh, when i when that question is posed to me one is justice and the equity now the question of equity uh, you know when the in terms of the deceased donor liver transplantation in those situations you are worried about the scarcity of the liver but in the living donor you are not worried about that so the the liver is available for the patient but now you are looking at the justice part of it whether it is it is it is uh, something um, that uh so do we go forward and so do we put the donor at risk there is a small risk to the donor as well so yeah. that risk is it worth taking i think that is important question at that point uh, i think the equity is no more an important point uh, because the the liver is available in the living donor transplantation so right. i think right. that's where i think we have to decide on it right i agree completely so like you share said that uh, you're putting a donor at risk and <clears throat> the donor is emotional in giving the liver to say for example his brother or father whoever the relation may be uh, but then uh, if you think that the patient is going to uh, or is at a higher very high risk of relapse to alcohol uh, and then if this transplant is done 6 months later uh, the guy is drinking again and uh, coming with you know bad liver disease again uh, so then like you mentioned are you doing justice to that um, uh, donor great i think uh, i would like to thank you for this uh, very important uh, discussions and your thoughts on it and would you give us any final messages to the viewers and to the audience no i think i want to thank you sanjay uh, first of all for uh, i may not have said this but i feel very much uh, and i'm telling you from the bottom of my heart i really appreciate the kind of work you do and the kind of enthusiasm you have and the kind of talent you have in terms of bringing people together i think not many people have that kind of talent and i want to appreciate you for that and uh, and also for this opportunity and i think uh, out there to the community uh, realizing that alcohol associated liver disease is becoming uh, the most common liver disease and Uh, no treatments available uh, so the awareness is increasing and i think uh, we should uh, at the platforms at scientific platforms at the funding level and everywhere i think we should be more and more important to um, alcohol associated liver disease thank you so much welcome thank you and that is professor aswini single a pioneering worker in the field of alcoholic liver disease 
Thank you.